1: Welcome to the Proust Questionnaire.
2: 35 questions giving us insight into what makes creative people tick.
1: So hi, Carolyn. How are you?
2: Hi, Uli. I'm good, despite the pandemic lockdown. How are you doing?
1: I'm really good, and I'm excited um, for today's conversation with um, someone who you know very well, and I've known for a bit, and he's a fellow academic and writer.
2: Yes, a wonderful friend of mine and wonderful writer and scholar. His name is Maurice Samuels, nicknamed Maury, which I think I call him probably in- involuntarily on the podcast throughout and he is a specialist of 19th century French literature and also Jewish studies. He's a professor at Yale. He runs the Center for the Study of Antisemitism at Yale, and he's an author of four books. And you know a little bit, I think, about the latest book.
1: And The Betrayal of the Duchess is about a woman who tried to put her son on the French throne in the mid-19th century, her 11-year-old son, and I said to Maurice somewhere in the podcast, that it's like a plot line in Game of Thrones of a mother who is putting her 11-year-old son on the throne. And this doesn't end well for anybody in, in the story that uh, Maury tells, right? That's
2: correct. Yeah, and he tells it with a lot of uh, kind of colorful prose. He's a beautiful writer. It's his first book for a broad audience, his three previous books about 19th century French literature and culture and Jewish studies were all more scholarly. So The Betrayal of the Duchess is kind of his breakthrough book. It's just come out and it's fun for us to get to talk to him because this is the first podcast we will have done since the coronavirus hit and since we all had to start sheltering.
1: That's right. So we look forward to, we'll have him, we'll bring him on now and we'll have this conversation with uh, Maurice Samuels.
2: So excited.
0: I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me.
2: Thank you for being here, one of my favorite people in the world. Welcome.
1: Thank you. Welcome and um, also congratulations on your recent book publication. So we're very excited about that. Oh, well, thank you, thank you.
2: Yes, Maury, The Betrayal of the Duchess. Maybe we'll get an occasion to talk about it during the podcast, it's a fantastic book. Uh, so congratulations, yes. All right, uh, to begin with a fun one, what is your idea of perfect happiness?
0: Yeah, so I'm actually, almost on the verge of feeling it right now in a way because perfect happiness for me is the moment right before the summer starts and this is it's like totally deep for me it goes back to when I was a little kid in school and of course you know being an academic it's you know arrested development so I'm still in that in that mode but like the moment Uh when the summer is just stretching out before you in pure potential you don't have any of that guilt that you've failed to do anything and it's almost over, which basically sets in for me like a week in. But like right now, <laughs> as I'm waiting for my papers to come in and to grade exams, it's all like stretching out in front of me and it's like pure bliss. It's all potential.
2: Oh, right. that's that's amazing. Yeah, I see what you mean. Isaac Mizrahi, who's been on the podcast and whom you know, Maury, um, often says that his mother calls him every 4th of July and, <laughs> and announces, summer's
0: over. It's so funny you say that because I had a very depressing great aunt who used to tell me that as a little kid on (laughs) July 4th exactly the same thing. She would say the summer's over and as a kid you know when you're little and the summer seems so long and you know it was a blow but anyway I I hear that in my head every fourth of July so it's definitely downhill by then but to me it's almost ruined like a week in it's still almost over and I've wasted it. That's the horrible part. Yeah.
1: Well, and it's, yeah. It's, it's May 6th today for our listeners, so we're recording this. Uh, you have less than two months of summer left then. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: it's almost over already. Then so yeah. we go into the second question. Um, what is your greatest fear?
0: Yeah, well, that one, I think, uh, is probably everybody's greatest fear right now, which is getting COVID or getting sick or having a loved one get it, you know? I mean, I think there's a lot of that going around. And, like, every day I'm like, I'm not going to read more stories about, like, horrible things that happen to you when you get this disease. And then inevitably I do. And, in fact, I, I was right before this just reading in the New York Times, these like long descriptions of like all the crazy, horrible symptoms and the existential angst of not knowing if you're kind of okay, but could it turn bad? So anyway, that that is a big fear, like practically moment by moment now.
2: Yeah. No, and it is, we were saying before we started recording that uh, you're our first COVID lockdown podcast. So uh, it, it's interesting to have your responses in contrast to the before lockdown, before COVID, uh, crop of interviewees we spoke to. Nobody mentioned this virus as a fear, obviously a few months ago. Uh, and now you're right. I think a lot of people are really scared. Uh, what is the trait you most deplore in yourself?
0: Yeah, that I would have to say that I don't always appreciate the good things that I have in my life. I feel like I quickly like when something good happens, I pass over it and then immediately start fixating on all the bad things and I (laughs) wish I could change that like I wish I could just pass over all the bad things and focus on the good things but I don't know I'm not I'm not good at that and I would love to change that if I could.
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) I know that uh, you have a meditation practice. Has that been even helped to mitigate uh, that quality a little bit for you or not particularly? Yeah,
0: well, that's something I feel like we need to to tell the viewers that, um, which I'm sure you know, that I'm like the least likely person to have a meditation practice.
2: (laughs) That's why it's so
0: great. Yeah, but, uh, and as Uli probably knows, it all happened because of this place called Mindful, but without vowels, so Munful, which opened on 8th Street in our mutual neighborhood where we all live, and I started going there, and yes, so that is something that I've been trying to definitely to work on, you know, and there's like, uh, there are different kinds of meditation practices, but like one of them is the gratitude practice, where you like literally just focus on you know, things you're, you're grateful for. So that, yeah, that's been helpful, but it's a, it's a long process.
2: Uh, What is the trait that you most deplore in others?
0: Yeah, there, I think I have to go with, it's maybe a tie between selfishness and lack of compassion for other people both of which I feel like are manifest daily in the two hour nightmarish press conference by Trump. I feel like those are his two main characteristics, maybe narcissism, selfishness and lack of compassion, like which, it's just, uh, you know, spectacular displays of that on a daily basis. I mean, I've now like, we I, I can't watch it anymore because it's so disturbing, but you know, that to know that we have a leader who has those as his main characteristics is, is a particularly horrifying, you know, thing. And right now, in the middle of a pandemic, it's like exactly the traits that are worst
1: suited for it. The following question wants you to focus exactly on the opposite. Which living person do you most admire?
0: You know, I'm not sure I have a specific person in mind as much as like a category of people is coming to mind of like the people, the opposite of Trump, I feel like. So like the people who are rushing to New York right now to help in the, in the pandemic, like, you know, you read these stories about like nurses who are coming from, you know, other places just to help out, you know, like, so the person who like runs toward danger and to help other people, I, I don't think I can do that myself, but like I, that's the thing that I most admire, definitely.
1: So, people in New York, we've come to know as first responders. The first
0: responders, yeah. yeah, and and like you know, the people who didn't even have to do it, you mm-hmm. know, and who are doing it anyway is right. just so incredible. Right. Yeah, well, and that's your... something we remember from nine right. eleven also? Right. Right. Yeah, we rushed
1: in to help people. Right. Yeah. Exactly. What is your greatest extravagance?
0: Mm, probably food, but you know well before the pandemic going out with friends like eating out in restaurants with friends like i think i spend a huge amount of money and i'm only now realizing how great was that extravagance because now i'm not doing it at all and i just looked at my visa bill and it's like completely (laughs) empty you know now and so it's like oh wow i was really spending a lot on restaurant meals, but you know, what I wouldn't give to be able to to do that now. Right, with friends, right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: What is your current state of mind, Maury?
0: That is a deep one right now. I would love to hear what you guys say about this too, but I'm in a kind of strange state of mind right now because on the one hand with the virus and, and the crisis, like, it's awful and like, you know, I feel like the world as we know it might be ending, might've already ended, you know, all these people are sick and suffering and terrified and like the economy is crashing and, you know, just everything we took for granted before, you know, so it's this horrible, you know, feeling on a kind of general level, but then strangely on my day-to-day in my day-to-day life, I'm actually pretty happy and maybe even slightly happier than I would have been, you know, anyway, you know, cause like I don't have to commute. I don't have to even take a shower, you know, like I can kind of just, you know, and I'm kind of, you know, as as Carrie definitely knows, I'm kind of a a little bit of a hermit anyway. I feel like my instinct and I, you know, I know we've talked about this before is to kind of just hide and you know work and read, you know, and like watch TV shows I want to watch anyway. So it's like kind of what I'm what I'm doing. And I'm very lucky to be in this like really nice place and with a, a good friend and her incredibly adorable dog. You know, I have it very good and I realize that, but I'm incredibly guilty because I realize other people don't and you know, so it, yeah. So it's a very conflicted state of mind.
2: Yeah. No, and I think there is a- There is something, uh, somebody told me about a headline at the beginning of the pandemic, which was, Geeks Wake Up to Paradise. And I think think for all three of us, you know, I've been trying to tell some of my friends that actually, while you're writing a book, Maury and Uli, I I don't know if you'll agree with this, I suspect you might, but um, while you're writing a book, you're in a form of lockdown anyway, you're not showering you're not going anywhere, you're not doing anything, you're not leaving the house. And so in that sense, these are the conditions in which uh, as writers, we tend to do our best work uh, and feel the most comfortable. Maybe we're drawn to that kind of work because we have this sort of introverted hermit side of our personality. Uli, are you feeling that too? I mean, to me, this feels exactly like writing a book.
1: I feel it's... It's hard because I I find it hard to focus for long periods of time. So I find, I feel I'm drawn out. I feel a sense of, I feel I'm acutely present being challenged to do something. And I think the temptation had been to think about what does this mean? Where is it going to go? When are we going to be released from this lockdown? So I feel a sense of acuity that Mm -hmm. not always in a good way. I also feel I can't really sleep. So I'm sort of too much in the present without knowing what to do in the present. So also my days are both empty and totally busy. It's this strange. <laughs> so I, my state of mind feels like kind of not on edge, but kind of on alert I'm like on high alert without knowing really where to turn this energy. So I'm trying to think of things and actually doing this conversation with you is sort of, it's nice to actually, what I miss most is to be with people and I do yeah. miss it. I'm actually, so I actually miss that profoundly. And I realize also how much, being in physical proximity of people is just vital. So, and, yeah. so I think this, there's a sense of being very alert, and, 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 and like both alarmed and both uh, awakened.
0: Yeah, I I also feel like if if I knew this was just going to be three months and then we could go back to the old thing, I think then I could really enjoy it. Yeah. You know, as a you know, assuming you know that nothing bad happens, but not knowing whether there's going to be like a life or world to go back to is that that is adding a whole other level of uh, existential dread to the situation yeah
2: all right on a completely different note what do you consider the most overrated virtue
0: i would say self-reliance you know i know that we're constantly being preached to about that in this kind of Emersonian way and I it really bugs me I feel like we're all dependent on each other and we should just acknowledge that, you know, uh, we're just all in this together and I feel like if more people just you know accepted that and got rid of this like myth of, you know, self reliance and acknowledge that uh, we have to help each other and think about each other, you know, think about other people's problems and how lucky we are because other people are helping us, I think that would make the world much better. Mario, on what occasions uh, do you lie? Uh, I sometimes lie, I would say, to... um, Sometimes to maybe uh, avoid hurting other people's feelings, I would say I, I do that. Uh, in general, I would say, like, I feel like that's an okay time to lie, but it sometimes makes things worse, I think. <laughs> you know, I sometimes will then get drawn into, like, bigger and bigger lies because I just tried to tell, like, a little one, so I don't know, you know. But then if I think of, like, the alternative, which is, like, radical honesty, I'm not sure that's such a great thing either so i don't
2: know yeah. i'm laughing because maury probably more than anyone other than my husband is the person who over the years has most frequently had to answer my question do i look fat? <laughs> 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 and i know there are many times when you've lied so thank you for that <laughs> maury,
0: i have your, never lied about that your one
2: lack of radical honesty has really has um preserved my, my, my fragile sense of self. Okay. Um, and kind of in that vein, and this would sound, I think, like a frivolous question in the age of lockdown, but I think it's also a question that maybe a lot of us have on our mind more these days because we see our own faces more often uh, on Zoom all the time and FaceTime. Uh, what do you dislike the most about your appearance?
0: Yeah, this is one that I think lockdown has really shifted a little bit. There are many things I dislike about my appearance, but one of the big ones is I have this horrible cowlick that just like, no matter how they try to cut my hair, this like thing in back just sticks up. And it's like the, you know, my, the person who cuts my hair uh, it just curses it every, every month. <laughs> And strangely in lockdown, I now haven't had a haircut in months and it's getting much better. So I don't know, maybe it's just like the long hair is making it, maybe it's just a short hair thing. So I don't know, but that's definitely one that bothers me. There are probably other, you know, more private ones that I, I will not discuss, but that's, that is a big one that I think of like at least every month.
2: Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah, I want to tell our listeners that your callic is not visible at all. Not on this,
1: on Zoom visible. Call. So no, but
0: it's the- very, very bad when I wake up in the morning because my hair is now super long. So now I have I have all this gunk in my hair to keep it from uh, <laughs> sticking up. But
1: yeah. we'll be we sure to include a picture um, on our website where you, that you can choose. You can look like you can <laughs> yeah. look like Tintin or something. Yeah, Uh Which living person do you most despise? That's
0: an easy one. I mean, do I even need to name him, you know, uh, our our orange president? Okay.
2: Yep. Yeah. You're not the only one yeah. to yeah. Uh, obviously feel that way or give us that answer. Which words or phrases do you most overuse?
0: Mm. Uh, this one is one that I think about in terms of writing, you know, because I just finished writing this this book and, you know, had to go through like, you know, the editing process of that. And, you know, you become aware of these ticks that you use, you know, in writing. And, and this was my first attempt to write a book, a non-academic book, a, a trade book for like normal people. And I had to kind of like train myself out of academic discourse that I know you guys know how hard that is to do. Um, and like yeah. one big one was, however, and I realized like not only does that sound sort <laughs> of gigantic and just boring, but I was using it constantly, and I realized like it was actually structuring my thought, like, I couldn't have thoughts that were not, that didn't lead to a however, you know, <laughs> sort of like the, the kind of taste for paradox. And, you know, and my editor was like, no, you cannot say the word however, you know, really, you know, maybe though you could, you know, you could get away with, but anyway, so that that's just like a big one that's like, you know, I've, I've been thinking of a lot lately.
1: Hmm.
2: What or who is the greatest love of your life?
1: Hmm
0: there i think i'll i'll go proustian and say my mother for yeah. that yeah
2: yeah that's a good one yeah i think that was what proust gave this when he when proust took this questionnaire i'm pretty sure that that's what he said yeah
0: that's what right? he said yeah yeah yeah
2: and that his greatest fear or his greatest idea of unhappiness was to be without maman
0: right and didn't he write so we will see did you answer this when he was like a teenager or something 15 yeah
1: yeah
2: and then again at like 17 or something
1: so but what's a nice postian way of thinking his mother was not your mother so it's a (laughs) different it's a different love so in some ways it's the same answer but it's probably like what post would be interested in it's such a different love because nobody has the same i mean and siblings maybe do but even they have distinct relationships
0: Yeah and Carrie knows this that like one of my favorite moments in the novel in in Proust is when he's in Venice with his mother and he sees this particular Ogive window and he's narrating this from the perspective of already having lost his mother and knowing that when he sees that window like in a museum the window you know says to him the thing that he you know, that means more to him than anything else, which is that I remember your mother. It's like the most beautiful, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. yeah. No, that's but, amazing. Um, that's thank beautiful. you more because not yet. And not most of, no, most of our uh, respondents don't necessarily come up with an example from Proust to flesh out their questions. And it's not obligatory <laughs> as we make sure to tell them, but it's, uh, it's wonderful that you could add that to our, mm-hmm. our podcast
1: when and where were you happiest?
0: Uh, I think I was happiest. I can actually sort of pinpoint that, uh, which is, even though I'm, I'm normally, I would say, happiest in retrospect, also in a kind of Proustian way, uh, like less in the moment than more like later, even like <laughs> my friend Laura, who I'm uh, in lockdown with constantly reminds me of this. She's like, you were miserable in that moment. And now I'm, I look back on it nostalgically, but like one moment where I'm c- pretty confident I was happy in the moment was um, when I got my first apartment in New York, the apartment that I still have. I had always dreamed of having my own apartment in New York and I, I finally got it. And I moved, so this was like December of 20, 20, 2007. And I moved in, and like the apartment was totally empty, and I was on a, a an air mattress on the floor, and looking out my window, and there was the Empire State Building, and I was like, "Wow, like this is this is great." Um, so, and I had just like, you know, uh, escaped, you know, having lived nonstop in New Haven for a year and a half, and I was <laughs> totally. But you guys also both
1: relate to, so it, it was all the the sweeter. It's escaped yeah. to New York and it was like the beginning of summer <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> right, which, right. although which,
0: i've actually kept up my I still really like my apartment so
1: which talent presumably one that you don 't have right now would you like most like to have
0: um, you know, I think probably like a lot of people, I would like to be a great or probably like a lot of literature professors. I would love to be a great novelist, I think that would be you know uh you know, an incredible talent. Uh, I wish I could do that. Probably number two would be to be able to nap, I would say during the day. I can't (laughs) nap at all. Really? Yeah. Um, I'm a really bad napper and I'm very jealous of my friends. I feel like that is a real talent uh, to be able to shut everything down and just like relax in the middle of
1: the day. Can't do it. Oh, I cheat in meditation all the time and I totally fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> so, so actually that helped me a lot. I, do, I, had, I have a great napping skill now. Since I well, maybe,
2: Uli, because I'm with Maury, I would love to be a novelist and I can't nap. And Uli, you are a novelist and you can nap. So I'm wondering <laughs> maybe, maybe they are somehow interrelated.
1: Yeah, do I, they yeah. go together? I do actually That's think they go together. I think there's that p- moment in writing when you just want to brought under the table or something, so you shut down and sleep for 20
2: minutes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Definitely, there's that, yes.
2: Okay, um, Maury, if you could change one thing about yourself other than your cowlick, what would it be?
0: Kind of similar, I guess, in a way to the, what I most deplore question. I think just the, well, it's also something that I've kind of been working on in meditation, but like the inability to exist in the present moment, I, I would mm. say is like, that's always been a big problem for me and the inability to like feel happy in the present moment. And that's been brought home recently because in springtime, especially in New York and on our block, there's this one flowering tree and it mm. only like flowers for like a week or two in April. And I, I, both like look forward to it and then also dread it And it makes me intensely sad. Like I can't just enjoy that moment, but I'm intensely aware it's gonna end. And I've always felt that, that dread of something ending, ruining being in the present moment. And then I found out that there's actually like a whole concept in Japanese uh, about this, which is the particular kind of sadness you get when the cherry blossoms come out. And I was like, oh my God, that's exactly what I feel, you know, like this like weird sadness at the most, you know, what could be a happy moment. Because I know it's gonna end. So yeah, I would love to change that. And that is something that I do feel like, you know, meditation has maybe helped a little, you know, to try Mm -hmm. to be in the present moment, not anticipating or regretting. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. What do you consider your greatest achievement?
0: Uh probably I would say my friendships, I would say, are um, <laughs> uh greatest, you know, I'm I'm, you know, something that I work on and something I'm proud. I feel like I've assembled like a museum of like really great people and I feel very lucky about them.
1: You know the the philosopher Hannah Arendt, she considered that her greatest talent to have she did all, s- yeah. strong friendships. That was her, in her own view, her greatest talent. And she probably would have said something close to her greatest accomplishment is yeah. her friends. Yeah. It was, that was for her sustaining and she had these lifelong, really intense friendships, ups and downs and all that. But she said it was her, her great talent and the thing she was probably most proud of. Yeah, I totally relate to that.
2: Oh, that's really neat uh if you were to die and come back as another person or a thing what or who would that be
0: so i'm in lockdown with my friend laura's dog uh and mm-hmm. i spent a lot of time contemplating the dog and thinking like being kind of jealous of the dog and like thinking like wow he's you know that it's so great like he's he just exists to love and be loved and you know, chase squirrels all day and doesn't have to worry. Like he's not even aware of the lockdown, you know, like he doesn't have to worry about this virus. It's just like, you know, he gets yeah. his eat, you know, twice a day and that, you know, it's total bliss for him. So um, I don't know. Then I think maybe I would be bored. You know, he does spend a lot of time like staring into space, but I don't know. I, it, it's That's seeming pretty good right now.
1: <laughs> Where would you most like to live?
0: i'm going to go back to new york on that on that answer i think or or like the new york that i feel like we've maybe lost but um you know hopefully we haven't you know and i hope that you know it would be great to be able to go back and have the city resurrect and uh you know have people you know, back to, you know, and I know people are constantly, there's this whole discourse of complaining that like New York isn't as good as it was in the fifties or the seventies, or, you know, there's this <laughs> constant, you know, complaint that it's, but, you know, I would pretty like a lot of people, I think I would pretty much give anything for it to even go back to, you know, with all its inequalities and rats and horrible stuff, but to go back to what it was, you know, before the virus, I think would be pretty great.
2: What is your most treasured possession?
0: Yeah, that's an easy one. So I have a, uh, a watch that uh, was my grandfather's and um, he gave it to my dad and my dad gave it to me. So that, that's a pretty easy
1: one.
2: Cool. What do you regard as the lowest depth of misery?
0: Maybe a toss up between fearing losing somebody and actually grieving. I think those two things, you know, also something, you know, thinking a lot about, you know, now and like, you know, dreading uh, and then feeling, you know, reading articles about other people. And I have friends who've lost people in, the, in this crisis and sort of feeling their, you know, pain. I think that is pretty, that's to me, the lowest depth. Yeah. yeah.
1: What is your favorite occupation if you were not doing what you're doing now? Yeah. Or maybe maybe it actually is what you're doing now. Sorry. Yeah, maybe.
0: I mean, like, when writing goes well, there's nothing better than that moment. When when it goes badly, it's there's nothing worse. Probably there are worse things, actually. I, I take that back. But definitely when it goes well and, like, you have that moment, you know, when, when you're able to kind of lose yourself and, like, you didn't realize that, like, five hours just went by and, like, you're just in the zone and... You know, things are coming out, and you're you're you know happy about it. To me, that that's a great experience, and I and I I love that part of it. You know, so I would say, yeah, being a a good you know writer on a good day.
2: Mm-hmm. What is your most marked characteristic, and Uli, and I take that to mean the the character trait that you think other people notice about you first or most.
0: Uh, I think that I'm hyper-responsible. I don't know if it's like being an only child, being an oldest child, you know, only oldest kind of thing, but I would say I'm like hyper-responsible and kind of a a rule follower uh, to a fault, I would say, maybe. You know, it's kind of hard for me to just like let go and enjoy if, you know, I think I should be doing something or, and of course, you know, in our lives as academics, like they're always things we should be doing you know and that I think can make me kind of miserable you know it's like you know how can I be happy because I have you know I could be you know reading someone's dissertation chapter or, or something like that and <laughs> I know my friend Laura who I'm with is like you know when we walk the dog we're in this like little area where you're not supposed to have dogs off the leash And she's like, what does it matter? Of course, you know, and then we even got yelled at by like one mean lady. Like, and she was like, that's against the rules. And to me, like- That's your worst nightmare. It's my worst nightmare. I wanted to, you know, hide under under the bed for (laughs) for a day. (laughs) (laughs) And so it kind of ruins. And she's like, but it gives the dog so much pleasure. Why, you know, why don't we, you know? And so anyway, it's like a constant conflict I have. And I know that it really annoys Laura. So I don't know. I mean, you know me pretty well, Carrie. Like, would you, I don't know if you would agree that that's a marked characteristic.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, and I think it's, uh, on the one hand, it's one that I a little bit share with you. And on the other hand, I know that uh, there have been times when I've tried to encourage you not to feel so uh, bound by external constraints. And that's <laughs> that's always, for me, been a losing battle. Uh, yeah, Although it's that same, I think, sense of responsibility that leads you to tell me that I don't look fat. The, and look for
0: the <laughs> I design. think we're probably both thinking of some of the same moments at Penn of like yeah. you know, being told, like, you know, or feel, <laughs> we both sort of felt like we should, you know, shouldn't we be like, chaperoning the French club at all times. <laughs> <And> like, <laughs> I don't know, I oh, felt God. like I, you know, kind of internalized that maybe to my like, <laughs> Although, I don't know, maybe not. <laughs> I
2: know, yeah, no. So for, yeah, to explain to the listener, uh, Maury and I were colleagues together right out of graduate school as junior professors at the University of Pennsylvania. And we did we did work in a department where there was a lot of free-floating anxiety uh, a lot of dysfunction. And I think you and I both internalized that as if we just follow the rules that somehow are often unwritten, but that must be there, then everything will be okay. And, and the long story short is that we're not, neither of us is there anymore. And well, we're also, much
0: happier. It's reminding me of that time because like someone, and this is maybe going down too far down a, a tangent, but the, uh, we both had kind of vaguely heard that to get tenure, you needed 10 <laughs> articles. And you know, which is not easy to produce these 10 articles and a book. And then we were talking to one of our senior colleagues and we were like, okay, so wait, what do you need for tenure again? And he was like, Oh yeah, you need 20 articles. And we were like, wait, you, <laughs> you, you said 10 articles. And you know, it was like, oh my God, as someone who's like trying to follow the rules that it was
1: wow.
2: Oh my God, that was horrifying. And again, to explain to our listener, like writing just one academic article while you're also teaching can really take the better part of a year. You only have six years to come up for tenure. And during that time, in addition to the 10 or 20 articles, you're also supposed to be writing a book that is unrelated to those 10 or 20 articles.
0: Yeah, and chaperoning the French Club, you know.
2: and being an assistant on the women's field hockey team, like you know, helping coach or <laughs> right. yeah, serve in the right. dining hall—I don't know. Um, so yeah, that was a that was a terrible time. Um, more, what do you most value in your friends?
0: Uh, that's a pretty well, like two, like maybe two things, like loyalty, I would say, and generosity, I would say, are two two big ones for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With, uh.
1: Who are your favorite writers?
0: Well, that is an easy one because Proust would have to be at the very top. Um, Yay! Yay! Uh, Probably, you know, second choice, Balzac. I I would say would be number two. But then Flaubert is is up there for me. Uh, So are Jane Austen and Virginia Woolf. uh, I would say are are kind of those would be the top five, definitely.
1: Is there anything okay. you're reading right now in, while you're in self-quarantine or in lockdown?
0: Yeah, I'm actually reading a, a quite amazing novel that I had always wanted to read. So this was a good kind of use of quarantine, which is The Leopard by Lampedusa. Um, this oh, kind of yeah. Great, yeah, this great um, Italian historical novel um, set in the 1860s in Sicily. And it's, it's beautiful and great.
2: Wow.
1: Who, do you have a hero um, in in fiction, and we think it maybe is in fiction or film or any any media really, theater, et cetera.
0: Yeah, that that's a, also a pretty easy one for me, which is uh, the hero of uh, Flaubert's *Sentimental Education*. So Frederick Moreau, uh, who's this guy who is just always longing for something he doesn't have, and <laughs> kind of always just missing out on his, I mean, this is the running theme you'll see in many of his questions, but, uh, you know, so he's just never in the present moment, always just wanting something else and unable to get it and never able to kind of like enjoy his current life because he wants something else. And I remember reading this when I was in my 20s. I took off four years between college and grad school and I was working in L.A. and it was just really like I was in the wrong place at the wrong time in Hollywood. And I remember reading this novel, and I could not believe that someone had read a no- written a novel, like, expressing exactly what I was feeling like that. This, like, very subtle, specific way of being in the world and thinking, like, oh my god, I have to go back to graduate school and uh, study 19th century French literature because of that.
1: If you indulge me for a moment, because you guys know much more about this. So Madame Bovary, so Emma Bovary, isn't she also consumed with wanting something else, but she acts on it? Yes. Yeah.
0: And, and right, exactly. And and I think of those books. Like I tell students, like that it's sort of like the girls' version and the boys' version in some ways. So he like kind of rewrote the same novel about you know uh, uh, from a male perspective, and you know hers, you know Emma Bovary's desires are mostly. Uh, internally focusing you know, on these romantic fantasies that don't work out whereas Frédéric also has those romantic fantasies but then his is like set you know he also has these sort of you know worldly ambitions and you know wants to be an important historical actor and just nothing you know turns out for him but yeah that yeah, so clearly Flaubert <laughs> kept returning to the story returning to the well, to that well you know of, so that
1: so that is the Nothing really works out for him. So this is a... like. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: Well, and is the other spoiler isn't sentimental education. It's been a really long time since i read that novel. But isn't that the one at the end where it basically says, you know, they were terrible times, but we'll look back on them as the best times of our lives.
0: Well, yeah, basically, yeah. So like, the, so he and his friend, like uh, who, you know, we, so we go through, you know, decades in their lives. And then at the end, they're they're reminiscing. And they, it's like one really obscure event that's not even narrated really in the novel itself, where they had like an aborted trip to a brothel, and they're like, yeah, "Yeah, that was the best time we ever had," and the other one. Like, no. So it's like, this thing that, like, you've just read like 400 pages, and this, like, the best time they ever had happened is sort of like one little minor incident referred to at the beginning. Yeah, <laughs> that didn't ever make fruition. So. That's crazy. That's amazing. We've meilleur in French, yeah. We've
2: had meilleur, yeah. yeah. Um, what are your favorite names?
0: That's sort of a fraught one for me because I always hated my name, uh, being named Maurice oh. or Maury growing up. Uh, you know, in the seventies and. Uh, <laughs> Like, wait, why did I have this, like, really old-fashioned, horrible, vaguely French name that just is totally incongruous? And, um, so all I wanted growing up was just a normal American name. I wanted it to be, like, just, like, Mark or Mike or something like that. And, <laughs> um, it's the, uh, and I'd never really outgrown that, even though now, um, everyone's like into giving their kids weird names and so now it's you know cool to have like a weird third republic you know old-fashioned name you know like I know friends who've named their their kids like you know but uh yeah so but I've never been able to get out of um, that that uh, jealousy of people who have these normal American names although I have to say where I am in Michigan we've been noticing that, like, everyone has those kind of names. Like, everyone is named, like, Tim and, you know, Chris here. And we kind <laughs> of can't tell them all apart. And, like, I'm like, Tim or Chris. And, you know, we keep passing these people. And so I, I, I guess I'm coming out of my, my hatred of my name. I'm, I'm seeing maybe more of, like, the advantage of having a, a bizarre, you know, old-fashioned name. But, you
1: know. Mm. And I think a lot of those typical American names are biblical names, right? It's Michael yes. and Thomas yeah. um, and Marcus. And so they actually really so rooted deeply in Christian culture, right? Well, Tim,
0: things. where is, is there a St. Timothy? There There's must a,
2: be. Yeah, there is.
1: Yeah, there, there must is. be. Yeah. I think they all I have out of article time. that there have been
0: no important people named Tim in history? Um, that Tim is a name?
2: <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. That's um. <laughs> My husband is, as I think you both know, is one of many siblings, and they all have. uh, His mother was a was a minister's daughter, and they all have kind of apostles and saints names. Yeah. And one of my favorites. I mean, I I I like all of them, but one of my favorites is actually Tim, and so I'm disappointed now to have to think about this and potentially report at least to Paul, my husband, that. There's never been a, an important Tim. There's never been a president Tim or. I know. Tim. and
0: I was I I remember trying to spend some time thinking about that. I mean, you know, I'm sure there've been many good people named Tim, but yeah. So
1: to um, our listeners, that's uh, for every Tim out there, you have room to really make, <laughs> you mar- make your mark. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I have nothing against Tims. I like I like many Tims in my life also, but I just remember reading that article. <laughs> so
2: my best friends are named Tim. Yeah. yeah, Uli, that's a really good point. Tim is like open, sort of clean slate to make your mark.
1: That's right. You're not, you're not going to be the fourth, you know, Edward or something to make, or Charles to make a mark, or Philip. You're actually the first Tim ever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, Carrie, go back to question 29. You still have that one?
2: Oh, I'm so sorry. That's um, okay. Okay. Which historical figure do you most identify with?
1: I don't know if it's
0: historical. I mean, it's kind of a contemporary person, but I have to say, I identify and feel a lot of, Sympathy for Hillary Clinton, I have to say. I mean, you know, she, like, tried so hard and was, like, so
1: deserving. Is that why you went to Michigan? What? That's why you went to Michigan, to make up for that?
0: Yes, yes, I know. It's deeply painful to me because, like, you know, she really deserved it. And she did everything like to deserve it. And her whole life was like leading towards this. And then it got robbed from her by this like total jerk who broke all the rules. And I mean, I, I just, I look at her and I think how galling that must have been. And I don't know, like to, I, I just totally identified with that kind of like, you think you did everything right. And then it's, it's taken away from you.
1: The second question, this following may be the same. The previous was historical. What are your, who are your heroes in real life?
0: Well, that, that is actually no. I mean, I would say, like, definitely, again, like, the, the first responders. I would say, like, the, the doctors and the nurses who, who are helping people um, around the world, and especially in, in New York, I would say. Yeah. Um,
1: what is it that you most dislike?
0: Selfishness, I would say. like. Um, yeah, intentional cruelty maybe also. Those are those are up there. Yeah.
2: Um, given the the sort of state of mind and psychological disposition you revealed over the course of this interview, uh, I think this is going to be a tough one. Maybe what is your greatest regret?
0: <laughs> Meaning, it could be <laughs> everything. <right>? Well,
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just when you talk about, you know looking back and not you know not having been happy in the moment and right. you know letting these moments pass you by or not appreciating them when you can um, do you have a kind of a specific instance of regret that particularly stands out in your yeah, life
0: I' mean kind of more just like a general feeling of uh maybe not always having put myself out there more or like risked vulnerability more i would say that's more like a running theme i can't like point to any like one specific moment of it but yeah so sort of like maybe playing it too safe sometimes yeah uh,
2: playing it too safe in what uh, professionally personally
0: uh Maybe a little bit all of the above, you know, maybe, yeah, like, um, it's just, you know, always seemed, yeah, yeah, probably, I don't know, I was gonna say, like, you know, uh, probably romantically, like, never being, you know, going up to the woman and saying, you know, like, someone who I don't know, and, you know, have some, like, line, you know, and, like, thinking, okay, this could fail, but so what, you know, I would never take that risk, and so... I would say that, but then also professionally probably too. I mean, I think, um, I don't regret, you know, what I did and like, I, I like in many ways, you know, the work I do, but like, you know, I I, I do, um, I did have this moment of, you know, a few years in Hollywood trying to be a writer. I don't think that was the right thing for me, but like, I think I, you know, uh, do regret not, um, you know, maybe trying also to be an artist and trying also to, to to be a writer. And I think I kind of played that safe a little bit more and went to what I knew I was good at rather than risking a little bit something that I didn't think I was good at.
1: You know? and maybe this is a nice moment for you since you're, the Betrayal of the Duchess, your book that just came out, is actually a departure from academic writing. So Carolyn and mm-hmm. I have by, both done this and it is a step into another space. It's exhilarating.
0: You know, to me, the, uh, that was, I would say, a step in that direction to learn how to write in a, in a different way and to try to, I think it was a more, not that academic writing isn't creative because I think it is, but to try to tap into, to actually tell a story, I I think was really exciting for me and kind of stretched me in this new way. So yeah, um, I would say, you know baby steps towards you know overcoming those regrets and that
1: that definitely was right. was a big one yeah okay the next question is a, a heavy one how would you like to die
0: um there i know that proust said uh loved i think was his answer to that and and i think that's it's hard to beat that one that answer i would say that's true and um again it makes me feel a uh, Like, just what's so awful about the current uh, virus situation is, like, you know, you just hear these stories of, like, all these people who have to go into the hospital. And, like, when you get it, you're totally alone, you know? And, like, that to me is just so horrifying. And I, I, you know, I just, I feel so bad for people who have to die that way. Um, And not that, you know, we ultimately all are alone when we die, but, you know, I've just been hearing stories of people who, you know, a friend of mine who, like, they had to say goodbye to his stepfather on Zoom, you know? I mean, it's just hard to imagine Uh, something uh,
1: sadder than that, I think. Right. Yeah, it's terrible to imagine, yeah. Uh,
2: What is your motto?
0: I would say a good motto would be, put others before yourself, I would say it's a good motto. Um, I don't necessarily live up to it, but I don't think, you know, mottos are, you know, you have to, uh, you know, always embody.
1: It's more of like an aspirational goal. So I would say that one. Yeah. That's a nice one. Yeah. Well, is there somebody, is there somebody we, uh, Carrie and I add a question to this. Is there somebody you would like to hear from to answer these questions, who we could invite on the podcast? Oh, uh, anyone you can imagine, anybody from the whole yeah. world, and we we prefer yeah, li- so, li- living people. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, someone
2: you know or someone you don't know, or both. Right.
1: I mean,
0: I would love to hear Hillary Clinton answer <laughs> some <of> these <laughs> these answers. Um, if she would, you know, do it honestly at this point, you know. Um, yeah, um, that would that would be a that would be a big one um, for me.
2: We'll tell her you sent us. That'll yeah. That's okay. great. Okay, Maury, so, thank you very much, Maury Samuels. You were a wonderful guest.
1: So th- yes, thank you so much for participating today.
0: Yeah, thank you guys so much for uh, for inviting me. It was super fun.
1: Cool. And we wish you the best of luck with your your book that's come out. We're gonna put that on our website. So we have a website, and the podcast is hosted everywhere you can find podcasts. So hopefully people will pick up the Betrayal of the Duchess. Tell us in one sentence what that book is about.
0: Yeah, it's about this uh, tiny four foot seven Duchess who led a civil war to reconquer the French throne for her 11 year old son. And it's about the man who betrayed her, who was the son of the chief rabbi of France and how this case set off uh, the first anti-Semitic affair in modern France.
1: It's straight out of Game of Thrones. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> that's what. Yeah, I have not watched Game of Thrones, but that's what I've heard. Uh, I sh- that's how I should pitch it exactly.